Hello, welcome back to IVFU. I feel like today's guest is my kindred spirit I didn't even know I had. Maybe she's yours too. I'm so excited for you to meet amazing writer, comedian, and advocate Jay Palumbo. Her fertility journey was rough and ridiculous, as aren't they all. And for Jay, the experience changed not only her worldview, but also her career, her creativity, and her perspective on what really matters. And I'll tell you, it ain't the little things. I'm in love with you. you. I feel like a plain thing of rice toast, like rice cake. <laughs> That's what I am right now. Please, I'm like got no bra on. I'm sitting here with no makeup. I couldn't feel less special. Who doesn't like rice cakes? Come on. Well, if you put peanut butter on it. There you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jennifer J. Palumbo. Am I saying your name right? Correct me. Yes, you are. You said it perfectly. It's so funny because um, you are so fabulous. We've we've actually only met once, but I feel like I've known you my whole life. You're one of these people. I do. I I mean, I've been stalking you online for years, so I feel like I know you a little better than you know me. That's hilarious. Well, I've been doing some stalking of you this week, too. So maybe we're even now. (laughs) Well, I'm very excited to be talking to you as someone who has been through the ringer with the IVF situation, as many of us have. And also, you are an award-winning blogger and a writer, a contributor to Forbes, Time Magazine, Parents Magazine, HuffPo, uh, Scary Mommy, which I don't know about. So we're, I'm going to need to know a little bit oh, about that. Yeah. Um, sounds fantastic. Uh, you are also a stand-up comedian. Yes. And you've also been, I, I don't know if talking head is a bad word, though I am from the 70s and 80s. So talking heads is a fabulous cool. thing a to band. me. It's banned. And uh, for you, it's been on CNN, NPR, Fox, NBC, BBC, America, and featured in the documentary Vegas Baby. Have I missed something you want me to say? No, not at all. No, you can even say less, really. It's fine. I know, but it's so exciting to say all of these things. <laughs> your your specialness makes me feel special because you're here. Aww. So it's really That's just so about me. <laughs> um, so you have two kids. Yes. One of them through IVF and those kinds of interventions. The other one naturally, quite a surprise Shockingly. to you. Yeah, yes. It was a shock. You kind of did it backwards, which I think is <laughs> interesting. I know, I really did. I know. So what I wanted to start off with was before you had your kids, did you always want kids? When Jay was a kid, what did you dream of being? Did you dream of being a mom? Oh, yeah. I think I wanted to be a mother more than I wanted to get married. So, wow. And I worked with kids. I volunteered with kids. I actually worked with Sesame Street in the child talent department with the kids. I volunteered at Gilda's Club in Noogie Land. I worked at camp. I always worked with, I loved kids. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, of course, I'm Italian, Catholic, love kids, can't have them. Can't and have them. And then my husband right. was actually married before to a woman who didn't want kids and they got divorced over it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, how old were you when you met your husband? I was 33, I think. And then we got engaged when I was 34 and married. We got re- really engaged, married quickly. And then we started trying to conceive when I was 35. Okay. And when you started trying to conceive your first child, what was your life like? Professionally, what was your life like? Who were you at that point? I was, I would say, uh, corporate by day and comedy by night hmm. because I would do stand-up comedy and it obviously didn't pay the bills or have insurance or anything. So I worked at uh, an investment banking company by day. Okay. And it had pretty good benefits. And it was actually a really cushy job that sometimes I miss. Yeah. Um, but it was very, you know, structured by day, corporate, you know, photocopiers, paper clips, typing, 
the general office yeah. space scene. Yeah. And then I would go do shows at night. So I want to talk about sort of the road to Michael. Michael is your older son. Right. Um, so you were 37? I think I was 37 when I got pregnant. Okay. And then maybe 38 when I gave birth to him. Oh my God, that seems so old. Had you ever tried to have kids before? Or this was like you were doing your comedy thing and you met the right person? Yeah, no, I, there were so many people, especially in my family, because they are very traditional Italian, where they're like, oh, are you putting your career first? And I'm like, no, I just haven't met anyone that I could stand. Like it really, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I had serious relationships, but no one that I wanted to marry and procreate with. Right. And when I met my husband, who's also a comic, it just really, he and I hit it off very quickly. I feel like things happen pretty fast. You know, we met, we were friends for two months. We started dating. I think we got engaged like six, seven months after we started dating. Yeah. And then we got married a year later and immediately started trying to conceive. And so by all accounts, I thought I was going to get pregnant, of course, immediately. Right. And so what did happen? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, like, so I wasn't getting pregnant. I wasn't getting pregnant. And it was six months, which isn't terrible. I mean, six months of trying, but I just happened to, and I was seeing this guy um, as my a gynecologist, even before I met my husband, I was in a very long relationship with my gynecologist. <laughs> and he's actually the first person who gave me a ring. It was a Nuva ring. I always loved to. <laughs> I said to my mom, I was like, here, I'm 30. And my first ring is a Nuva ring for my gynecologist. But he was also a reproductive endocrinologist. Oh, wow. And so he was more worried than I was. Yeah. So he was like, why don't we try IUI? Anyway, we did a bunch of IUIs. Nothing was happening. And then he brought up IVF. And I didn't know, this always makes me laugh. I didn't know how IVF worked. <laughs> a lot of people don't know how IVF works. I know, and I swear I'm, I'm a pretty with it person. Yeah. But I thought they took a needle and put it maybe through your stomach and got the eggs out that way. And uh-huh. so I remember, I still remember vividly talking to my doctor and him being like, no, we put it through the vaginal wall. And I'm like, oh, 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 wait, what? And I'm like, I think this is so bad. It doesn't need a metaphor because it's like a needle <laughs> in your vagina. <laughs> That's hilarious. You were thinking I, it was like an IVF cesarean or something. Yeah, where they sort of opened I, you I up and they pop them out. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I was really shocked about the process that I would have to be put under and all that jazz. And you're and, just talking about the egg extraction at this point. Yeah. 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 And then... I don't know. I think I was just like, oh, it's, I kept thinking next month it's going to work out. We're being overdramatic, like yeah. the next cycle, or maybe I'd get pregnant on my own waiting for IVF. Right. Like I just thought we were being overly um, aggressive. Yeah, right, yeah. aggressive. It just was too much. But then when we did the first IVF, you know, I had a good amount of eggs and I didn't have very many embryos. And then I didn't get pregnant. And that's when I started to be like, oh, this is really bad. Yeah. You know, like this is not happening. And when I actually have embryos put in me, they still aren't hanging around. So I think it was really kind of after the first IVF when I started to really internalize it and really felt like I was being punished. Mm. And what amazes me is, you know, that was like 2009, 2010. And you would think that by now we'd understand it's, it's a medical issue. Right. It's like arthritis or diabetes. You know, you're not being punished. You didn't do anything wrong. It's not a personal commentary on who you are. 
But there's still so many people I talk to that felt like I did, like I'm being punished. And when you say being punished, you mean like by God being punished by the universe? Well, yeah, I was raised Roman Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic, but I really grew up with a lot of, um, <laughs> like I think of St. Jude, who's yeah. the patron saint of hopeless cases. And um, which is, that's why I know him so well. He was my jam for so long. Um, but I remember my Aunt Jeanette being like, ask for whatever you want and you get what God thinks you deserve. Oh my gosh. How, exactly. old, were, how old were you when she gave you that oh my, you know, really and wonderful funny. advice? Yeah. I think I was like 13. So. Wow. It yeah. was really bad. But it's all like, you know, being good and, and heaven and hell and, you know, you got to do the right thing and uh, judgment. I mean, I remember, I guess I was having problems with my period or what have you. And I was a virgin and they put me on birth control pills to regulate my period. And I've mentioned it to the priest. I'm like, oh, I'm on birth control pills. Like I felt like I needed to tell him. Like it was a sin. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I haven't thought about this in years. <laughs> um, but so I told the priest, I said, it's for medical reasons. I'm not having sex or anything. He's like, okay, but you can't take communion. Oh. <gasps> Exactly. Oh my God. Sorry. Until you go to confess to it. And I'm like, what am I confessing to? <laughs> Do anything. I am having a visceral reaction right now. But anyway, yes, go on. I know. It's really oh. terrible. And so, and my, my grandmother and my aunt and my mom, I mean, you know, my mom went to Catholic school. Yeah. She said she went to Catholic school, so we didn't have to. But they were all <laughs> like, you know, they were like, oh, just ignore him. And I'm oh. like, well, that's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. You can't just so, pick and choose when it matters, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's like, okay, I didn't know we were just picking and choosing. Like, and so, yeah. But when everything went down and I'm now not getting pregnant, my first reaction was, well, I'm clearly not, I did something wrong. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't because I know a lot of people, I, let me put me in the seat. I blame Please myself do. for not prioritizing having a, a family. And now I felt like, oh, this is what I get you know, for being selfish and right. wanting to be Dave Grohl instead of <laughs> Mia Farrow or whoever, whoever the mommy equivalent is of that. Um, that wouldn't work because she adopted. But anyway, um, and when you feel that way, it's you feel like it's a chain. It's like you feel like you're being punished, which means you've done something wrong. Now you start to be very negative about yourself. You start to turn inward. All those things wrap themselves up in a ball and, and are, they're very painful. This is why the experience is so isolating. Yeah. I think this train of thought leads to, well, I deserve this because yeah. I'm a bad person. And then you feel like you can't communicate with people who aren't bad people because you know, maybe you'll break that too. So you start to just inter internalize, internalize, internalize. Completely. I mean, you, yeah. you definitely hit the nail on the head. And I'm curious, where was comedy in your life at that point? I think it was definitely an outlet. Because um, I remember, I wouldn't really totally admit to having fertility issues on stage. Mm. I, I really was very private about it for a very long time. And for, for a myriad of reasons. I was worried people would say stupid things, which... They definitely which they do. Yeah, they do. And I just, for me, anytime anything happens in my life, I need to figure out a way to process it before I can share it. Mm -hmm. And I was still processing it. And so on stage, I would do routines about, after my first IVF, I had um, a polyp, a uterine polyp mm. that they thought formed because of the hormones. Oh. And so they're like, you can't do any more treatment until we remove this polyp. And so to cope with it, I named it Jackson Pollock. 
It had its own Twitter account. It was very popular for a time. I made it like a loafer that was like down on his luck and he was like <laughs> crashing in my uterus. And I would talk Wanting. about Jackson yeah. Pollock on stage. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. Was, he was, again, you know, so I'd go on stage and be like, yeah, people are posting pictures of their kids. I have a Pollock. So I'm going to post that when it gets removed. So I would like touch on it in a way right. that I felt comfortable, but not really say, oh, we're having infertility issues and I'm trying to get pregnant or anything like that. Right. But I would talk about all of this on stage. And so it was difficult for me to be omitting this incredibly painful thing. Yeah. But I get it what you're saying about processing, because for me as a songwriter, I don't I always felt badly because people like Joni Mitchell are like, music saved me through the dark time. And I spent a year locked in a room writing songs and that became Blue, my most treasured classic album ever, you know, all this kind of stuff. And her pain is on the page and her tears are on the strings. And I can't do that at all. I need to yeah. process something or it is, if I write a song in that state, it is the scene from Say Anything when she's writing about the boy that she's obsessed oh, with. Oh, I love in that. The room. <laughs> Lily, it's Lily Taylor, right? Yes. And what's the character's name that she's writing about? Oh, like, I don't remember, but I remember the song, like, oh, it'll never yeah, be he, me. It'll never <laughs> be me. It'll never be me. Like, that's me if I wrote a song during infertility. That's oh what the God, music would be. He lies when he cries. You know, like, that's oh, yeah. the shit that, which is all the shit that's been coming out of me during COVID, which is why I haven't written a song in three years. But the point being, I get that. It's it's not always a way to process. Sometimes you actually just have to process like any other person. And yeah. then you have the clarity to figure out what makes it a compelling or a meaningful piece of art to other people. Exactly. And I think that's ex exactly what it was, was like, I had too many of my own personal feelings to make it funny. Right. And I didn't want to talk about it unless I could make fun of it. Oh, I that's mean, I interesting. I would find the humor here and there. Again, Jackson Pollock is a great example. <laughs> um, but I still had too much of my own, I don't know, stuff attached and I needed to process it. Like, how do I be okay with it? How do I admit to other people that I have this problem and how do I make jokes about it? Right. And it took me a while to do that. If I tried to be funny about it at the time, I'm sure I just would have ended up crying on stage, <laughs> which is not best for a stand-up comic. It's just not what you're and going not for. ironic, not ironic crying, but yeah, like no, actual yeah, crying. Right. Exactly. Even when I was talking about Jackson Pop, I felt like I was really exposed. Mm. But the audience didn't know the whole story behind it. Right. But I, so I think, yeah, it was a while for me. Yeah, no. And I was going to say, if you were already feeling like you were being punished, then right. making fun of it would probably maybe double the kickback from God. You know what I mean? If, yeah. you're, if you're not taking it seriously and feeling remorseful for this apparently horrible thing you did at some point, who knows what that was, yeah, taking birth control for regulating your period when you're young, <laughs> um, you know, if you make light of it, then it's going to come back on you twofold, whatever that might yeah. possibly be. So that might have, even if maybe you wouldn't admit that, I wonder if that was back there in your psyche somewhere as well, you know? It's entirely possible. I mean, I, because I, and that's the thing. I have a, everyone always tells me, I, I try to take it as a compliment that I have a big personality. <laughs> and, but when, I don't know why I, I'm kind of an asshole about it because it's been said to me so much that after a while, I'm like, what do they mean? Like, am right. I annoying? Like, right. am I, <laughs> like, am I like uh, Judy Tenuta showing up with an accordion all the time? Or, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't want to be impressive, but right. I do have a, a big personality. Fine. But during that period, you would not have known that. I stopped being social. Oh. I stopped 
seeing people. I was avoiding social interaction. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and again, this isn't like me at all. If like a, a cycle failed or I got my period, I would immediately like go to bed like four o'clock in the afternoon. Yep. Stay in bed pretty much the whole weekend because I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. I couldn't deal with feeling like a failure. And what do I tell people? And, you know, again, Italian, my uncle Carmine's like, when are you going to have kids? <gasps> uh, you know, everyone's yeah. asking me about it. And I would make excuses and be like, oh, we're, you know, we're going to do it eventually. It's in the plan. But, you know, not, not telling them that I was trying and it was really painful. And yeah. so I think I channeled that into to blogging. Oh, that's interesting. And had you blogged before this started happening or was this the no. start of the blogging? Oh, that's really interesting. It was the start of the blogging. And I, so I created this blog and I was writing these blogs, not giving any identi identifiable information about me. Right. So I would blog about it and use my humor there on the blog, but I would never own up to it in my real life. And where was Mike when this was happening? Was he also upset or was he... he was because you hadn't been married that long when this all no. started too that's another thing that's hard about it oh yeah and we we ended up dealing with it differently which was not good oh <laughs> so i'm like doing this blog i'm on twitter you know i'm tweeting about cervical mucus at two in the morning talking to people <laughs> australia about my period like whoever will listen right and <laughs> mike is playing video games um, oh so he withdrew in a different way yeah. So like yeah. we had a railroad apartment and he was in the front of the apartment playing video games and I'm in the back of the apartment on Twitter with my Australian friend <laughs> discussing ovulation. And <laughs> I became completely consumed with it. I think he just didn't even know how to process it at all, talking about yeah. processing it. He just was like overwhelmed by the whole thing. He didn't know what to do with me. I was losing my mind. Yeah. We're losing our money. Yeah. We don't know what to do. And we did eventually um start going to couples counseling mm -hmm. because I, I, it's amazing. They're always like communication, communication, but it's amazing how, when you have a problem and then you're dealing with it differently, how quickly communication goes out the window. It does. And you know, I think, honestly, I think part of that comes honestly, I think you're trying to stay out of each other's way sometimes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're trying to figure out your own emotions to even express it to the other person. And I mean, and with us, it was hysterical because so I had my therapist and say she was on the second floor of this building in Greenwich Village. And she recommended his therapist who was on the first floor. So when we had <laughs> couples counseling sessions, it was everybody. Oh. It was my therapist and his therapist. It was BYOT, bring your own <laughs> therapist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was like this. I've never, I didn't know couples counseling could like bring your own representative. I've, I've never heard of it that way. No, I've had one I of know, us come to this. I don't know if it was yeah. just it worked out because it's they nice lived in the same. And it was, it was very, very, I mean, some of the sessions were very intense. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because of a lot of reasons, but I think that was the worst time in our marriage. And I've yeah. always been open about that. And, and Mike's very supportive of that because we were coping differently. We stopped communicating completely, not for bad reasons, but we were just, I think we were just so trying to deal with our own stuff and not upset the other person right. that I will say to anybody to have an objective party, whether it's both your therapist or just one person, so you could say the things maybe you're scared to say yes. at home. Yeah. Like it's a safe place to be like, by the way, I kind of think you're acting like an asshole. Right. <laughs> right. But so you can say it in front of another game. neutralizing third person. So that exactly. it. Yeah, and there yeah. was one session where it was all 
saying to me, like both therapists and my husband saying, you're obsessed with infertility. You talk about it nonstop. Oh, I wanted to strangle all of them and I almost did. Yeah. But I'm sure they were right. But it was probably the best way to be told if I was becoming annoyed. That's painful, though, to hear that. Did, but you think ultimately it was helpful for them to say that? It was very, very hurtful and painful at the time. But I think it needed to be said, certainly for Mike, but if for no other reason to remind myself that I am more than my reproductive organs. Yeah, that's like a really good point. You have to have like one night where you talk about something else, just right. one. Right, So right. It, it, it was, in the long run, yes, I still don't, I still look back at it with great disdain. You know, it's funny. If if that's literally what they said, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that maybe that wasn't the best way to say it. No, but probably. I do see their point and your point that yeah. it totally, completely takes over your life and your identity and your future and your present and your past. You blame yourself for your past. You're hiding from the present. You can't even envision a future because it involves failure if you feel like that's what's going to happen. And I could see that it could be said with love. You know, there's more to you than this. There's more to life than this. I don't want you to lose touch with that. I want you to try to see what is still good in the world, what is still good in you, in us, in having your favorite breakfast cereal, whatever these things are that can make life a good thing. Um, So you can start to heal a bit from all of the pain. Um, I, you, I would, you right now have put it infinitely better than me. <laughs> so we're clear. Well, that's what it I really think. Was like you're yeah, it wasn't it, Yeah. <laughs> I think it was maybe not delivered quite in the most productive way, but I, but I, I'm going to decide knowing none of these people that it was coming from the right place. <laughs> was too. I think it was too, but I think there was but a, that would make a me better curious. way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and especially if you're being pumped with hormones, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. When, when all of this, you know, took over, it was around my second IVF, and I remember at my company at the time, my my day job, everyone was getting pregnant, and that's not an overstatement. There were like three women who got pregnant all at the same time, and without exaggeration, this completely happened. I came back from my first IVF, so I took two weeks off. I come back, my IVF failed. And literally the Monday I was back at work, my boss at the time said, hey, so since, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so are all expecting, can you be in charge of planning their baby shower? Oh, <gasps> yeah. no. Like I just spent 15, what is it, thousand dollars to get my period. Yeah. And then I come back and now I have to plan a baby shower. I was just like, I'm going to blow my brains out. I was so upset. And everyone was constantly like, oh, there's got to be something in the water because everyone's getting pregnant. I'm like, I guess I'm at the infertility soda machine because I'm the only one who's not getting pregnant. Oh my God. It it was awful. And I hated how it made me. Did you plan the baby shower? Was it three baby showers or like one massive? Yes, it was one baby shower that we... we, Yeah, pool we, the resources. Exactly. Yeah, we, it was like Kill a three birds right? with one stone, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you were in charge of that. Oh my god! Yes, but I will say one of my other coworkers who went through IVF, and she actually got pregnant on her first IVF with a boy and girl twins. She knew what was going on with me. She was one of the few. She was like, "I'll help." 
and so people didn't actually know she helped me because she knew again, and fertiles really stick together. Right. Um, Right. She did help, but I just was like, it was not, it was not fun. So we're on the last, you know, IVF cycle. We're out of money. And And how many rounds are you in at this point? Like, where are you? Like three years, five time cycles, three IUIs, three IVFs. Wow. We're about to kill each other. You know, we're in couples counseling. (laughs) I only have one embryo. And I really think just through statistics, because we just got lucky, that one embryo stayed and that was Michael. Oh, wow. And so Fertility Authority was following my IVF journey. Through your blog or through Twitter? Yeah, they They were following the two-week wait is the name of the blog. Hmm. What is Fertility Authority? Fertility Authority was a web content site that was like um, WebMD, but just in the fertility space. Oh, interesting. Okay. And they asked me to start writing for them when I started doing this clinical trial. And then here I have Michael. And six months after I had them, Fertility Authority asked me to work for them full time. Oh, wow. And so that's when I changed my career completely. Mm-hmm. And left the bank. It was so hard to do because I love those people. Yeah. Um, and it was a cushy job. Now I'm leading for this fertility startup company. But it it was great because I could use my sense of humor to talk with patients and people and all of that, use my writing skills. So between all of those years, there's a reason why I'm getting into this. I talked to patients everywhere, like yeah. all across the United States. And that's really what fueled me to start talking more openly about my experience oh. because there's so many themes, consistent themes. And I'm sure you're seeing that certainly through this podcast mm-hmm. of feeling like blaming yourself, of getting depressed, of, of co- comparing yourself to someone else's cycle or the pain Olympics or the struggle to pay for it or different family building options that not even everyone's always aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, so after all of this, then when I started really sharing my story and I became a big advocate, I was in Washington, D.C. one year for Rizal's Advocacy Day, and they had me meet with this Republican uh, who's no longer in office. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to him, he was like, wait, men can have fertility issues? Oh, wow. He had no idea. He thought it was just always the women. So here I'm giving this oh, Republican wow. representative a sex ed lesson. I'm like, well, right. it's like one third women, one third men. And then the, the rest is like, you know, unexplained. And he's like, well, what problems can you have? And I'm like, I can, I'm supposed to be talking about legislation <laughs> and not your sperm, but yet here we are. So you're but, like, there's motility, there's morphology, <laughs> there's right. All these things. <laughs> exactly. I'm like this is not where I expected this conversation to go, but even still, like, do you remember a couple of years ago? I think it was just two years ago, these men in, in, some sort of um, position of, of power, was it in Ohio? We're like, hey, we got a great idea. If a woman gets pregnant through, like she has an atopic pregnancy, we'll just detach the embryo and move it to the uterus or we'll charge the woman with murder. <gasps> oh my God. Google this. I'm not making this up. Well, the fertility community lost their minds right. because they're like, did anyone talk to either A, a woman Right. Who's had an ectopic pregnancy. Right. Or be a doctor. Right. But the arrogance in that they were like, oh, it's fine. Just move the, you can't, it's physically impossible. Right. You can't just move an embryo. Right. If you detach it, it's no longer lived. That's anymore. it. Right. Yes. So also PS, think, the woman could die, but that's fine. Yes. We won't have to worry about that in this. Exactly. I know. But like talk about fertility, definitely making me 
more stabby about yeah. women's bodies and women's rights. Yeah. And that these idiots think that they know or have a say on how it should all go. Oh God, right. that we could be here all day. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, now, once you had Michael, yes, and you're now in the mom world, you're out there in the world having play dates, maybe, and, you know, yeah. I don't know, nannies, daycare, whatever's happening with Michael. Was it, how did that feel to be around other women who maybe just like popped him out? No big deal. Like, did you feel like you had this big secret inside or did it not, did you not think about it anymore? Mission accomplished. I mean, I was so grateful to have Michael. And I remember really the first year, everyone says the first year is the toughest, but for me, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm. I just couldn't believe. It worked. Picking, yeah, exactly. I'm picking out a yes. Halloween outfit for my kid. Right. You know, and we're doing this for the holidays or I'm actually pushing a stroller down the street. <laughs> right. I, I just, it was so novel and exciting to me yeah. that I was perfectly happy. And then I think it was around, so he was 15 months old and I took him to the pediatrician and she asked me a bunch of questions. Does he point does he make eye contact? You know, how many words does he say? And that's when we realized there was something wrong with oh, Michael. Oh, And so I think it was around 18 months. I basically like called 311. I was mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, had him evaluated and they mm. felt he was on the autistic spectrum, mm. but they weren't sure where, you know, like not that people are trying to actually eliminate saying high functioning, low functioning, because mm. it just seems kind of judgy. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's they weren't sure, like, if he was going to Literally judgy, it. yeah. Yeah, exactly. They weren't sure because it's like high functioning is more superior to low functioning. But right. he definitely was on the spectrum. And I will say the infertility experience prepared me for all of that. Because mm-hmm. like people like their child gets diagnosed as being on the spectrum and they go through these huge periods of denial or depression. It took me two days. And I'm like, all right. Because I've just gone <laughs> right. through so much. Right. I was like, right. whatever. I mean, yeah. my husband and I really, after that, we were like, fine. You yeah, know, like bring it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're like, we just figure this shit out now. It's just fine. <laughs> right. And so that's, I think, when things started to feel different in terms of parenting and infertility mm-hmm. and everything, because it was kind of like, all right, I guess this is it. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's good. We can only have one child because he's going to need a lot of um, support. We donated everything. We gave it away, baby clothes, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. A week after we moved that we donated everything. I found out I was pregnant on my own. <laughs> I mean, my husband oh my was like, he, are you kidding me? Oh it was a God. shock. It was a tremendous yeah. shock. And had you been like timing your cycle, taking your temperature, no, not even no. paying attention to your, to your, when your period was coming, nothing. No, I really like, felt like, well, it all makes sense. You know, yeah. I have one kid that's probably good, you know, for a myriad of reasons. And my husband was even thinking, he was like, well, good, you know, pretty soon we could save money on this. He'll be out of diapers. Like we had, we, right. we were we building were, it all. Yeah. Yeah. We were fine with it. And even I was like a little late and I'm like, oh, I'm sure I'm not pregnant. I let it go on way too long. I'm like, there's yeah. no way I'm pregnant. I was going to be 41 soon. Right. So I wasn't even young. Right. Well, fertility wise. Right. <laughs> and then, then there was a whole other ball of wax because now here I get pregnant on my own. And then I felt like I, I betrayed the infertility world. So like, I can't win. 
Right. You're that asshole that (laughs) went through all of IVF and then second child got pregnant. You're the you're the person people talk about when they say, well, my friend's ex-roommate's boss's daughter went to did IVF. I would would hate myself if I if I could, (laughs) because and also that was the thing I kept saying because people were like, oh, do you think you were more relaxed? I'm like, no, we were genuinely moving at the time. Michael was getting a bunch of tests, you know, like an MRI and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was not a, a chill time. Right. I have no explanation for it. I mean, even Mike, when I told him I was pregnant, he was like, when did we even have sex? Like, we didn't even <laughs> do that much that much. <laughs> so it was like a Hail Mary, one in a million right. shot. Yeah. Even a Hail and, Mary, people are trying to score, but you guys weren't yeah. even doing a Hail Mary. <laughs> no. Oh my God. And my parents, when I told them, they almost fell over. I mean, everyone was shocked. Yeah. Yes. So to be like now this advocate that everyone knows that I was open about my infertility journey and then I get pregnant on my own, I would say there was like, I mean, certainly when I was pregnant with Michael, I'm sorry, Matthew, don't ever name your kids. I don't know why initial. you did that. I actually was going to I know. It's, it's Not the, only do they the have the same things. initial, but they are literally the two M names that I confuse all the time. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, but while I was pregnant with Matthew, I was like, can I be an advocate anymore? Like, can mm. I even do this? So it's almost um, another identity shifting moment when that's happening. Yes. And then to really bring it all around, I thought about when I was trying to get pregnant in bed depressed, not talking to anyone. And I had this moment, it's so corny, but it's true, where I'm like, wait a minute. Right now, there's someone who's in that stage that can't talk for themselves. Mm. So even though I dared (laughs) to accidentally get pregnant on my own, (laughs) I still can advocate for them because they can't advocate for themselves right now. And I relate to that because they're where I was then. So of course I'm going to keep advocating, but I, it took me months during that pregnancy mm-hmm. to reconcile. I'm like, am I still an infertile? You know, yeah. can I still advocate? Will people want to punch me? And I think there are, <laughs> at the time, there were people who were really pissed about it on Twitter when I announced that I was pregnant. Um, and it took me a while to deal with some of the, the hate that I got. Wow. Um, but I get it. Yeah. A lot of them were yeah. for people who were still trying or right. their their outcome wasn't what they were expecting or what they hoped. Um, and I basically, I remember I wrote a blog post about it. I think it was something like the pregnant and fertile or something. I think yeah. that was the name of it. But I basically was like, look, you can hate me. Yeah. Have a great time. Go for it. I would hate me too. But you at least have to give me that I'm out there trying to change laws, make a difference and raise awareness. I said, so can we agree? That maybe if I suck, <laughs> we at least agree that so does infertility. Like, are we at least right. on the same page about that? Right, right. I mean, yeah. at least said, you know, I'm sorry for anyone this hurts, but people were pissed. What are you going to do? And do you think they were pissed that you got pregnant or that you were telling them? They were pissed for a lot of reasons. And I don't know the answer. And you know what? They probably don't know the answer either. That's, but I'm not, not to make light of the, of how they feel and how we all feel in these situations. But you know, the anger and the hurt and the depression that comes with infertility is it causes you to have irrational reactions yes. to things. Right. I mean, you were doing it to try to clear the air and sort yes. of 
control the narrative and make it as less harmful as possible. And it's just, it's, it's a no win situation, which is hilarious because you're pregnant and it's the most wonderful thing. And we're saying it's a no win situation. It was so bad. It was, yeah. So it was, it was a very weird, it was a very weird pregnancy, but in the end, it's, it's a good thing. And I, in the sense of Michael, I didn't realize how much he would benefit from having a sibling in terms Mm -hmm. of being on the spectrum. Mm, okay. So Matthew is of, not on the spectrum. No, he's neurotypical right. and he's like the neurotypical wingman. So like if they're at the playground and Michael, he's speech delayed, Michael. Mm. Matthew is not. He never shuts the hell up. <laughs> um, Matthew will go back to his brother and like be like, oh, I have to get my brother and he'll bring him over and be like, this is my brother. He's on the spectrum. You know, we're very open about it. Wow. And I always make it clear to Matthew, this poor kid, because he's, again, he's fine. (laughs) But we've always been like, you have to understand your brother is not as talkative as us. And he does things that are different and it's okay. It's Mm -hmm. just different. And so we need to look out for him. So that's the way I've always tried to pitch it. And we've been asked, you know, oh, do you think Michael's on the spectrum because he's for IVF and Mm -hmm. Matthew's not? Which always amazes me when people ask me that. I don't know. Does it matter? I'm not going to return them. Do people actually know where autism comes from? I know some people think vaccinations, which makes right, right, exactly. But, yeah. I mean, some people think it's genetics. Um, and there was one study that came out that has been since disproven that ICSI may be associated oh. with autism. Yeah, but then they disproved it. Disproven. Okay. Yeah. Delete, but, delete, delete, delete. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're not but even going to know. They think it's it's primarily something to do with genetics, but they still don't really know. And I partially asked too because I I thought it was one of the risks of an older pregnancy, or is that totally incorrect? No, I think that's one. You're right. I think that's one theory. Even with men, if men are older, their children oh. may have a, a higher risk of being on the spectrum. Finally, something older men have to answer for. Ah, oh, take that, Mick Jagger. Okay. Yeah, bastard. But they still can have children as long as they can produce sperm, which is irritating. Right, but, fuckers. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really unique, weird perspective that, again, I have not only do I have one child through infertility treatment and one who's not, I have one child who's on that spectrum and one who's not. Right, right. I take wow. it all in stride. And that's where comedy maybe also is helpful once again, because sometimes... Yeah. Are you doing stand-up still now? I do. I mean, because of the pandemic. Oh, right. Not a lot of shows are happening <laughs> Right. It's interesting, again, in thinking about how infertility and the quest, well, you know, the quest to to have a baby can change someone's course or change someone's self-identity. You do kind of come out the other end feeling like you have nothing left to lose, which is a form of bravery and courage and galvanizing yourself. You know, you kind of once you do have children or you've chosen your path not to have children or you're adopting or whatever it is to have come through the ringer like that, that like you said, when you were having your sex or when Michael was diagnosed on the spectrum, yeah, like whatever, exactly. you know, it does not that anyone should ever have to go through it, but if there were an upside to the outrageous pain and torture of infertility, I will say it does build a certain strength in you because you've been through like the worst thing possible and you survived and you came out the other side, whatever that other side is. And at that point, you can kind of accomplish anything, you know, it's like. Yeah, and I think it made my comedy better because, I mean, again, like infertility really took over my life for three years Mm -hmm. and I've met 
incredible people, both men and women who have dealt with infertility and stories. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard that, like, you're like, oh my God, like mm-hmm. what this poor person has gone through, um, you know, multiple pregnancy losses or, you know, failed, I hate using that word, but failed adoptions, you know, mm-hmm. where it seems like it's going to happen and it doesn't. And yeah, the, the level of not even optimism, but just determination and persistence. Mm-hmm. And even in the cases of people who are like, that's it, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. That takes tremendous strength to be like, okay, this is not working out like I thought it would. Right. I think I've had enough. And now it's time to write a new ending. Right. I mean, it, it just, it teaches you so many skills, but I think it, it also teaches you a lot about yourself and, and your own level of sanity and perseverance and, and yeah. again, strength. And so I think now if I go on stage and I don't know, someone doesn't laugh or they think, or I don't know, I've just dealt with so much crap at this point. It doesn't <laughs> I matter. I just I know. don't care. It right. really just doesn't matter. You know, it, it shifts what's important. It shifts what matters. It shifts how you can be happy, where you can find happiness and what your identity can be and, you know, all of those things. I mean, and I think, well, you're right. I think it redefines what parenthood is in a way. Yeah. Because it may not be what you expected, but it may be even more rewarding. And and also, you know, to your point, which I think is so wonderful. I think, you know, I've I've mentioned the whole Twitter war, but there are incredible acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced such kindness and love because of infertility, you know, my third IVF, because we had like no money, all of my medications were donated Mm -hmm. by other infertiles, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it does, I think, just change your perspective on a lot and how you define yourself. And, and, and the thing that I always started to say, the more I talk to people going through this is sometimes it's not, if you'll be a parent, it's just how, and when you look at all the ways that it could happen, it sort of all opens up to you. Um, but I mean, every journey needs to be honored, but I, I hope that everyone at the end of it has gained something that's helpful to them in other areas, Mm. no matter how things turned out, um, whether it is more of a sense of humor or friends that they wouldn't trade for the world or a child they didn't plan on or or a a new career. Yeah, (laughs) a life and a career. career. Right. I mean, I think in the end, so now I'm, I, you know, I don't work for anyone full time and I write and I perform and I do stand up. But I think for me, what I learned through the whole experience was I wanted to have a sense of humor about things that mattered. Mm-hmm. Not to sound like an asshole, but, yeah. but I liked I liked taking a sense of humor and making it mean something other than entertaining drunk people. <laughs> <laughs> like at the six o'clock yeah. show. Right, you right. Know, um, and so what is happening today in the world of Jennifer J. Palumbo? Yes, I just wrote a book proposal. So I'm working on this book. And then out of nowhere, a treatment I wrote from like 2008 has been resurrected. <gasps> a treatment for a TV show? Television show. Okay. I'm working on that. Yeah. And I'm still very active in the infertility space, working with a bunch of either clinics or companies on the patient experience. And then I contribute to Forbes and I write about totally non-funny stuff there, Ah. um, which is great. Yeah. 
again, I need to, I have a lot of different colors I need to explore. Yeah, yeah. I would say my, my website's more fun, wonderwomanwriter.com. Forbes, mm-hmm. I write a lot about different issues, diversity. Um, mm-hmm. I write a lot about being a working parent of a special needs child thing. So I love that that I have that as an outlet. But Scary Mommy is more my funny, funnier stuff. <laughs> okay, scarymommy.com. I'm just going to yeah. make sure we get, okay. Excellent. Yeah. And is there anything you would like to add at the end of our conversation? Well, I really, I've been a fan of yours for years because you're so diverse. I'm honored. No, Pashaw. But I, you're, I mean, I am very, very famous, but I don't <laughs> always meet people who know who I am. So that's really great. <laughs> no, I, I just want to praise you because you have taken your talent and, and also brought a new level to this space. And you've done it in so many different ways. This has changed me as well. Yeah, it's Like true. you haven't yeah. just done it in like, oh, okay, here's my music. Take care. You know, we talk a lot about advocacy. But I think just talking about it and sharing your story, you have really made a difference. And so I really did want to say that I'm genuinely a fangirl and that I think you should be incredibly proud of everything that you've done. I mean, I know I'm not your mother. I know, but I need to call you sometimes. Can I record this? (laughs) Oh, we are recording. Great. I'm just going to play it back. (laughs) But, you know, I think it does. It kind of speaks to our whole conversation today, which is that. I never planned to be doing this. You know what right. I mean? It's like, yeah. I, I just think creatively what you've done has been so positive and impactful. And so I, I really wanted to make sure if no one had told you that today, <laughs> that, that I mentioned it. Oh, I truly appreciate that. No, but I, that's wonderful to hear. And it's exactly why I'm doing it. So I'm, I'm actually really happy that that's okay. working. Um, well, yeah. thank you, Jay Palumbo, Jennifer thank J. You. Palumbo. Yeah. Thank you. That that was not what I meant when I said, is there anything you want to add? But thank you. <laughs> and um, everyone definitely needs to check you out in all your various forms and on, on Instagram and on your blog and on your website and everywhere else and, um, and your home. And, and I'm so glad you were here with us today. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with Jay and me. Please check out her Instagram at jenjpal, J-E-N-N-J-A-Y-P-A-L, for all the links to her writing, advocacy, and more. And now we can all be best friends. (laughs) And I want to do another plug for our very special season two finale featuring my own therapist, Savannah Sanfield. There's still time to submit your questions to ivfupodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at ivfupodcast. Deadline is November 11th. The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaper, and Emmeline Summerton. Audio mastered by Logan Heftel. Thanks to Chris Benelli for the late night Pro Tools parties, George Strayton for marriage, and Gary Scott for greasing the wheels. IVFU is a production of Inside Voices Media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. You can download our theme song, Freakin' Love, at ivfupodcast.com. And we'd love for you to review us on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to anyone who might be helped by these conversations. You can also be a huge help by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and paypal.me at ivfupodcast. Thank you. And thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together because it's all about being a family. family.